Well, good morning, church family. Good morning, good morning. My name is Pastor Aaron Sabio, and I co-lead the student ministries, which is young adults, high school, and middle school with Pastor Tyler Baquet. And I'm excited to get into the Word this morning. We're going to continue in our Wisdom for Life series through the book of Proverbs. So would you turn with me to Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10. Proverbs 18, verse 10. Our aim through these studies is to ask ourselves the question and answer it, what does wisdom in the life of the believer practically look like? And today we're going to see that the wise believer runs to Jesus, our strong tower. I love this proverb. We'll read it together and then we'll say a quick word of prayer and then we'll dive into the study. How's that sound? Great. Great. All right, if you're there... Follow along in your hearts and your minds as I read from the New King James Version. Proverbs 18, verse 10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your living word. We pray that your word would read us and disciple us. We, Lord, put ourselves on the altar Lord, for you to sanctify, for you to teach, for you to correct and to heal and repurpose for your glory. Lord, we acknowledge that you are our shepherd. We acknowledge that you are the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, we thank you that we get to experience life, not only in eternity with you, but now presently because your spirit is here. I pray, Jesus, that you would tune our hearts to hear your voice, whether we're here or even online viewing from home. Lord, make this place, a a sanctuary of your presence for Jesus' glory. In his name we pray, amen, amen, amen. You know, one of the things that I love to do now that I'm recently married is to brainstorm baby name ideas, right, with my wife. And this isn't a pregnancy announcement, okay, just FYI, we're not pregnant, maybe one day, Lord willing, next year, Uh, maybe, we'll see as the Lord leads, right, El? We'll see. Uh, but I love hearing the names that she likes and uh, uh, some, some of the names that she has brought to the table. I'm like, that reminds me of that person with that reputation and we're never naming our daughter that, right? And sometimes I'll bring names to her. I was like, this is a strong manly name. But she's like, that reminds me of this guy and this is what he did. And I'm like, oh. Okay, so we're, you know, we're praying about names and things like that. And today we get to dive into a verse where it's the only time in the book of Proverbs that Solomon mentions the name of God. And, and names in, in the Bible are, are really telling of people's character, their destiny, their calling. And so my parents being godly parents, they really prayed about what names to name their children. Well, first of all, they wanted daughters and they got five boys, right? So five boys. And so they were always praying about girl names and the meanings and the etymology and the beauty of, oh, this reminds me of this person and this woman in the Bible. And when we came out of the womb, they're, they're, oh, that's a boy, right? And then times five, right? And so they had to brainstorm and pray quickly about what names to pick. And I'm so thankful for the heritage of my name. They, they wanted something biblical. They wanted, us, they wanted us to be leaders. And so they gave me Aaron, Andrew, Amarin Sabio. I know a long name. I have two first names. A lot of Filipino families do. Aaron Andrew, my middle name, Amarin and Sabio. Aaron means light bringer or messenger. I love that. Light bringer and messenger. 
Andrew means strong, manly, strong tower. So obviously they are prophesying about me, right? Strong and manly and a strong tower. And my middle name, Amarin, which is my mom's maiden name, uh, is, is from the Filipino heritage, uh, meaning from love. And Sabio is uh, from the Spanish background when, this, when Spain invaded the Philippines, all that stuff, right? Um, and it means um, of wisdom or wise. So I got the light bringing messenger, the strong manly of love and wisdom. I'm like, oh, I love that. You know, Aaron, Andrew, Amarin, Sabio. I loved it all the way until you examine what the initials spell out. They didn't pray through that one, right? A-A-A-S. I'm like, oh, come on. <laughs> Setting me up for failure here, right? Aaron, Andrew, Amarin, Sabio. I love the heritage of my name. And today we get a look at God's name his reputation, who he is. And today our goal is to better honor Jesus by learning to run to him in his name, which is our strong tower. Today to help us in our goal of better honoring Jesus by running to him as our strong tower, I want to map out three different things. I want to talk about his reputation, his name. What does Lord mean? Number two, I want to talk about our refuge, who he is as a strong tower through the lens of Jesus. And number three, I want to talk about our application, our responsibility to run to him. Again, our goal, honor Jesus by better learning to run to him for for everything that we need, all the wisdom. He is our strong tower. That's what we want to do today. So let's take it number one. His reputation. The word of God says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. I love looking at the Hebrew words. This word name actually means reputation. The reputation of God is that he is a strong tower. But notice the name of the Lord is in all capitals, capital L-O-R-D. And this isn't speaking of a title, this is speaking about his name. When we see capital L-O-R-D in the Old Testament, this is in reference to his name Yahweh or Jehovah. And this is in reference to the covenant-making and covenant-keeping God of Israel. This is not just what he does, but who he is. In other words, what he does flows from who he is. But where do we get this name Well, turn with me to Exodus chapter 3, because this is when God himself introduces his name to mankind for the very first time, and he's talking to Moses. So Exodus chapter 3, verses 13, 14, and 15, we find Moses, a banished prince of Israel, uh, of Egypt, sorry, of Egypt, and he's running away because he had killed a slave master in Egypt. So he's now 40 years in the desert as a shepherd for his father-in-law. And all the while, God is seeing the oppression of his people in Egypt, and he's looking to send a deliverer, and he meets Moses in this beautiful burning bush, and he speaks to Moses, 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 and he says, do not draw near to this place for it's holy. Take off your sandals. And so Moses takes off his sandals, and he's hearing from God, hey, I've seen the oppression of my people in Israel. I want you to go and deliver him. And this is where we, we, we pick up here in Exodus chapter 3, verses 13, 14, and 15, when God introduces himself. He says this, Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, 
The Lord, God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. And so we have the introduction of God introducing himself to Moses, and he says, I am who I am. This is my name. Other translations would translate this, I am whatever my people need me to be. I am the all-becoming one. I am whatever my people need me to be. Take note, it's not whatever my people want me to be. We don't dictate and rule God, no. But he is whatever his people need him to be. And I love this. We can take comfort that God will always be true to his name. He will forever be the I am whatever my people need me to be. Now we take Moses' story in the introduction of, of I am who I am. Now we jump to the New Testament, and this is why Jesus had such beef with the religious leaders, right? Or the religious leaders had beef with Jesus. Because Jesus would be making these claims, I am the light of the world. I am the true vine. Before Abraham was, I am. And so Jesus was claiming his deity, his oneness with the heavenly father, the Old Testament God, Yahweh, the covenant-making and covenant-keeping God of Israel. And this is why they they need to crucify him, crucify him, stone him. He's he's blaspheming. He's claiming to be God. But Jesus proved that he is the great I am because he not only spoke it, but he validated everything that he spoke by his resurrection. And we can believe that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament Yahweh in human flesh. And so instead of reading in Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower, we can say, Jesus is our strong tower. The righteous run to him and are safe. This is who he is. And I'm so thankful that I, could, that I can take comfort that in the midst of the uncertainties of today, that I can be certain that God is forever faithful and never change into his character, into his name. And I love what the author of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, Hebrews 13, verse 8, he says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So Jesus is our unchanging, strong tower. This is his reputation, and this is his name. So this is who he is. Now, I want to take some time in this next part, our refuge, in describing this tower. Because we know that Jesus is the fulfillment of the great I am, I want to view this tower through the lens of the I am statements of Christ. And so we're going to talk about this refuge, and we're going to describe this tower, and we're going to look at it through the lens of Jesus Christ through his I am statements we find in the New Testament. Well, first, before we get there, it's wise to understand that a strong tower is meant to protect people. Actually, the word strong tower implies a conflict, right? Why do you need a strong tower? Why do you need a refuge if there's no conflict? Here's a biblical definition of towers. In biblical days, towers were built in the cities and on the walls of the cities. They were built high and strong and well-fortified, They were used for armories, for protection, and often watchmen would be posted on them to easily spot the oncoming attacks of the enemies. These towers were a place of refuge, rest, and also a reward for many would store their valuables and their treasures within the towers that were built in the middle and the midst of the city. So with the understanding that Jesus is our strong tower, this isn't just fancy words. No, this is battle language. 
we are reminded in this verse that we are saved not to a playground, but to a battleground. And this is called spiritual warfare. And I'm thankful that in this spiritual warfare, we have Jesus, our strong, resurrected commander-in-chief, who always leads us in victory. Write down this cross-reference in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, in describing spiritual warfare. It's things happening in the spiritual realm, the heavenly realm, that affect us in the, uh, the physical realm. And this is what Paul says here in Ephesians 6, 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And so we have a massive enemy against us. But praise God for our commander-in-chief, Jesus, our resurrected commander-in-chief who always leads us in victory. First, he's our safety. Jesus is the one to whom we run to and we find safety in. But let's describe this tower. When we get to Jesus, what should we expect when the righteous run to Jesus and are safe? Well, again, I want to take some time to look at these I am statements. And the first thing that we want to examine is the tower door. The tower door. This tower, when you get to this tower of Jesus, this door has a low hanging and narrow entrance. It's low-hanging and it's narrow because the stiff-necked people and the proud in heart cannot enter in without first bowing their hearts and their heads and acknowledging that they are needy people. This entrance, the door, Jesus said about himself that he is the door. Jesus is the door to the sheepfold of God in John chapter 10. And And those who come to Jesus must come with humility, must come with a humble heart, and a bowed head because the door to the tower of Jesus is a low-hanging door built on a frame, and it's very narrow. Those who come to Jesus as the door must come with full acknowledgement that there is no other way to access the safety and the reward of the tower. You cannot climb the, you cannot scale the walls of the tower to break into a window. You, you, You won't be able to with your strength and striving to battering ram down the doors of Jesus, he's too strong for that. And you can't impress this door to magically open as you display your good works and moral goodness. No, you must come humbly. You must come with a bowed heart and a bowed head. And it's a narrow entrance. And why is it narrow? Because you can't walk two by two. You must personally make the decision to enter in. What I love about student ministries is that students are learning to own their relationship with the Lord. And many of them, praise God, have a godly heritage from, from you guys, the parents who are raising them up in the fear of the Lord. And it's cool for them to understand that they need to have their own authentic and real relationship with Jesus. But so often, they're riding on the coattails of their parents' spirituality. Now it's their turn to own it. The door to the tower is small, it's low, but it's also narrow. You, they, we need to enter in and make that decision ourselves that we are going to enter in. I can't go two by two. It's too narrow for that. And I can't go with a stiff neck and a proud heart. I must bow my heart. I must bow my head and come to Jesus. Since Jesus is the door, according to John chapter 10, humility is the key that unlocks all the grace that awaits us in him. You know, according to the book of James, that God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So when we run to Jesus, our strong tower, the first thing we got to know is the key is humility. A personal decision of humility to come to him because it's a low hanging door. It's a narrow entranceway. 
But notice that this invitation is given to the righteous. The name of the Lord Jesus is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. So before you get into the beautiful corridors of the tower, you'll notice that in this low hanging door frame, in this narrow entrance, above on the ceiling is a cross. And it's the old rugged cross that Jesus died on. It's the cross that as we gaze upon, we can see Jesus taking our sin and our unrighteousness upon himself so that we can become the righteousness of Jesus. This is true righteousness. It's not our own goodness or our own works, but it's the finished work of Jesus when he said, it is finished. The only way to access this low-hanging door is by the cross. And you need to pass through the cross in order to have access to the rest of the treasures inside. Again, not on your own righteousness, moral goodness, or what you've done or haven't done, it's upon Jesus' finished work. That cross above the doorframe in the narrow hallway is the cross. We must pass through Jesus. We must acknowledge the weight of our sin that put Jesus on the cross. And we must acknowledge that he took it all for us, and now we stand free, accepted, and forgiven. So number one, we get to this door. We see that Jesus is the door. Once we enter in, pass through the cross, we we see that this tower is well lit and it's full of life. Why? Because Jesus is the light of the world in John chapter 8 and he is the resurrection and the life according to John chapter 11. So as we humbly bow ourselves and pass through the cross, we come inside this warm tower full of light because the presence of God is there. It's a warm presence and it's a healing presence because in the fullness, in his presence is fullness of joy. We see Jesus here. He's healing with his revealing light. And it's no mistake that when we come into it, our darkness is revealed. And instead of hiding it and being ashamed, Jesus in his presence welcomes us to himself. He says, I already know about all that. And let me reveal that to you so that I can heal it. And just like a good doctor, he puts us on that operating table and he shines a light on the problem. And then he surgically removes the iniquities and the darkness and and the sin and the dead spots in our lives. And he covers us with his grace. And he repurposes those mistakes and those bruises for a testimony and a message to the world. And so we see that this tower isn't a dingy tower. It's not sticky with cobwebs and spiders. It's a warm tower full of light and life, and it's the love of Jesus that's healing us. It's not us perfecting ourselves. It's the Holy Spirit doing that work in us. As Jesus' presence is there, he is the one refining us and making us better for his glory. The tendency in, in this part of the tower is to be ashamed, is to be afraid. What if God knows this about me. What will he do if he finds this about it? The truth is he already knows it. He already paid the debt for it, and you stand forgiven and free in him. There's no need to be ashamed or embarrassed. Jesus' presence there doesn't condemn you. He meets you with compassion. And a healing touch is something that we all need, and so we don't have to shrink back but we need to move forward towards him, towards this light. And this is the work of sanctification in our lives. 
we we'll always have that, those moments where Jesus is shining lights on our hearts to reveal the idols that have been accumulated over time. And he's going to be saying, hey, I want to get rid of this. And you're going to say, yes, Lord. And he's going to take those things out of your life. Though surgery is painful, it's for your benefit. And this is what the good father does, who is the light of the world and the resurrection and the life. Once there was dead spots, now God's going to make that alive and use you as a testimony. Second Corinthians, right? We're comforted with the comfort so that we're not just comfortable. No, that we can comfort those that, re- that need that comfort. And so the surgery that we undergo, and we grow from so that we can point people back to Jesus and minister to them with that same comfort that he's been given to us. So we get into this tower. It's a low-hanging entrance door. It's narrow. It's, it's bright and it's warm. And it's healing. We come to now a long banquet table. And this table is well stocked. We see that this tower has everything that we need because Jesus in John chapter 6 says, I am the bread of life. And in John chapter 15, he says, I am the true vine. So as we receive the healing from the things revealed by Jesus, we then find the tower is well stocked with everything that we need because he is the source of all light and love. He's everything everything that we need physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. He is the bread of life. He's the sustenance and the substance of everything our hearts are longing for. He is the true vine, the one that we sit in and abide with and receive the nourishment for our souls to bear much fruit for the glory of God. And we notice that as we sit down to partake at this long banquet table within the tower, we see that there's a seat with our names on it. And the seat is reserved with our names engraved in Jesus' blood. He has bought our position to be there. And we come empty-handed, but it's okay because this is not a potluck. God has everything that we need. We don't bring our own goodness. We don't bring our own gifts. We don't bring our own talents. We bring ourselves. And Jesus says, come and dine with me. We don't bring anything to the table, but there's always a spot for us. And everything that we, met, that we need is found in Jesus. In him, as we sit down and meet with Jesus, as we abide in him, we find spiritual health and vitality. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 1.20, in Jesus, for all the promises of God in Jesus are yes, and in Jesus, amen to the glory of God. How do we access all of God's promises, all of his goodness? It's through Jesus. It's in him. As we sit at this table, there's no more need for anything else because he is all that we need. He is all-sufficient. He is the all-becoming one. I am whatever my people need me to be. So we're filling up on God's goodness. We're claiming his promises. They're washing over us. And then it says in 2 Peter 1, 2, and 3, Peter says this, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all, everyone say all, He's given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. So as we sit down at this large banquet table, we see that in the knowledge of him is everything that we need for life and godliness. We don't have to turn to the left or to the right. We can just feast on what's in front of us because Jesus is the all-sufficient, all-becoming one for us. I am whatever my people need me to be. Not only are we eating and receiving and abiding in him, we find that as we sit with him, we find our identity. Because according to Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, right, Paul says, since you have been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. 
Set your mind on things above and not on things of the world, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. What do we find that in him? We find that our life is hidden with Christ in God. As we sit with him, we discover our identity in him, who he calls us to be. We receive everything that we need, our, our, our purpose, our God-given calling. Why are we created is the biggest question everyone's asking. Well, in Jesus is the answer. We sit with him and we find out what we're called to, what we're redeemed for. And I love that as we just sit down with him, he tells us who we are. We don't have to figure it out ourselves. We don't have to put a little chart together of this. I think this is that. No, Jesus tells us who we are. And I love not only do we find our identity, like I said, we find our calling and we find what we're redeemed for, but we also find our spiritual gifts. And so these are like the little goodie bags taken from the tower, right? Because every good and gift, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom there's no variation or shadow of turn in James chapter 1. So we see that Jesus is not only telling us who we are, but he's telling us, this is what I've called you to do. And this is what, here's your goodie bag. Here's some spiritual gifts to help you with that. Here's your calling. Here's how I'm going to help you with those spiritual gifts for the glory of God. And all we do is receive, receive, receive. But we don't just receive, receive, receive for the purpose of being spiritual gluttons. We receive, receive, receive to be repurposed and sent back outside of the tower to go into the world to point to the tower of Jesus now that we know the way. Jesus fills us up to send us out to make disciples of Jesus Christ. I love what Pastor Rob says, we are blessed to be a blessing. Many of us, man, we've been well taught spiritually and we're receiving and receiving and receiving and that's a great season to be in, but now maybe the next season comes and God says, you're called to this. No, this tower's so nice, it's nice and warm, I, I got everything I need. Yes, but there's a dying world out there who needs the light and love of Jesus and guess what, I'm gonna send you out as ambassadors and now that you know the way to the tower, you can point back to the tower that is me and we say, yes, Lord, Send me. And so we're feasting on Jesus. We're feasting with, with our identity in him and we're receiving all these good things. And, and now that we're sent back out, we don't have to be afraid because Jesus is not only the tower, he is the way to the tower and he's the ways out in the world outside of the tower. For he says about himself that he is the good shepherd in John chapter 10 and that he is the way, the truth, and the life to John chapter 14. So not only is Jesus the tower, the goal, but he's also the way to the goal. He's the good shepherd before you get to the tower to convict you of sin, righteousness, unrighteousness, and judgment, right, according to the Holy Spirit. And he's, he's gently pushing you along. Hey, come to the tower, come unto me. And once we get there, we receive, and then now he's the way, the truth, and the life. So now we're walking in his way. We don't have to, I, I hope this is God's calling. No, he is the way. I hope this leads to life. No, 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 he is the life. I hope that, that, that th- this isn't a false reality. No, he is the truth. And so he is the good shepherd and the way, the truth, and the life to the tower. And then also when you get out of the tower, he's your good shepherd leading you. He's also showing you the way on how to now live and walk and, 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 and serve him. So Jesus is not only our strong tower, he is the way to himself. He's the good shepherd in John chapter 10, and he's the way, the truth, and the life according to John chapter 14. And I love, I love this invitation that Jesus gives as our good shepherd. 
He says, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy burdened, right? Come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and then you will find rest for your souls. Man, the journey to Jesus can be long, especially when we're coming out of a season of sin. But Jesus is saying, come to me and you'll find rest. And even outside, after we've been repurposed, man, things can get chaotic and crazy, but Jesus is is, is still saying, come to me and rest, and I will repurpose you and I will redeem you. And and through this process of rest, I'm going to bring restoration to the world through you. And so it's all about Jesus. I love that as we live for Jesus, as we show others the way, there's still the enemy out there. And I don't love that fact, but I do love the fact that he never leaves us nor forsakes us as a good shepherd. And even in the times where I choose to leave the comfort of the, the tower or choose to leave the presence of the good shepherd, he lets me experience a little bit of darkness so that I would learn and come to my senses like the prodigal son to come back to him. God will often allow us in our prodigal days in our prodigal times, when we think we know better than the shepherd to experience a little bit of the hardships, the trials of life, the, 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 the fruit of not walking with him, so that we would come to our senses and say, I need to come back to the tower. And through those trials, we, we can be like, no, God, why? But we also see that these trials are a grace of God pointing us back to our need for the tower. And I love what Charles Spurgeon says, I've learned to kiss the waves that throw me against the rock of ages. I've learned to kiss the trials that throw me against the rock of ages. Jesus is that rock. Jesus is our strong tower. So we've examined this tower. We know his reputation. This is Jesus. There's a door. We must come humbly to him. We must make that decision personally to come to him. We must submit to that healing and restoring light of Jesus, the light of the world. And then we, we receive everything that we need and then we're sent back out to point to the way that is Jesus. And so what is our responsibility to run in closing as we apply these things to our life? What might it look like for us to run to Jesus as our strong tower? What would our diaries say for those who have decided that Jesus is their strong tower? Well, I love these two verses. They'll be on the, the screen in Psalm 18, 1 and 2, in Psalm 61, 3 and 4, we read first in Psalm 18. This is what we would say if Jesus is our tower. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Psalm 61, 3 and 4, what would a person say or his diary say those who have made Jesus their tower? They would say this, for you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. Man, today, let us make Jesus our strong tower. What would a life look like that doesn't make Jesus their strong tower? Well, we see it out in the world We see that those who don't make Jesus the strong tower turn to darkness. Darkness looks like drugs, alcohol. It looks like prodigal living. It looks like living on your own wisdom. It looks like living in emptiness. It it looks like living in temporal satisfaction and limited comfort. But that doesn't have to be our testimony. We know Jesus. We know our strong tower. So how are we running to him? 
I love that Solomon writes this. Run, not walk, but run. It speaks of an urgency and a fast-pacedness. And it reminds me that we need to be running to Jesus to redeem the time for the days are evil. We see it everywhere, news, media, we're blasted with it. Man, Jesus is coming back soon. How can we be the most effective witnesses and ambassadors for him? By being revived ourselves, by coming to the tower, meeting with Jesus, and then being sent back out into the world to call people to the tower. Jesus is on mission. He's running after you. That strong tower is sturdy and immovable, but also, man, it's zooming in on you. Come and meet with me, Jesus would be saying today to your hearts. Will you accept his invitation? Will you humble yourself? Will you walk through that narrow and low-hanging door past the cross into that well-lit room to be read by his presence and his word and then to feast on his goodness and then to be sent back out? Today, ask yourself, how can I better run for Jesus tomorrow? How can I better run to him first and foremost and then how can I better run for him? All of us need to be taking ownership of our spiritual walks with him. And it's such a joy to walk with the shepherd. In his presence is fullness of joy. As I close out in in, in prayer, I feel prompting to also encourage those who are just in that prodigal season. Maybe they're just in the pig pen right now and they're believing the lies of the enemy saying, I'm not good enough to come back to the tower. The truth is, God sees you He loves you, and he's calling you back home. You don't have to stay in that pig pen. He's calling you out. And guess what? Just like the prodigal son with the the, the heavenly father, the picture of that, that father and the prodigal son, he's outside waiting for you. His arms open wide, looking for you with a heart full of compassion. He can't wait to embrace you, to put on the robes of Jesus' righteousness, to clothe your, your, your feet with some godly sandals and put a ring on you. And then like the father, he says, hey, kill the fattened calf because God wants to celebrate when you come home. Don't believe the lies of the enemy that you're not too good to come home. There's always a way home. You can never out God's grace. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Come home to Jesus, our strong tower. And on the other side, if you've been in that strong tower, praise the Lord for you. But now you're feasting and you're receiving, but now you're on that side of spiritual gluttony and God's calling you out to step out for him. And you're believing the lies. I can't be used. I'm not good enough. I don't know enough. Well, look at the disciples. Untrained men. But what did the testimony of those men, of the people, they say, these, these untrained men, they're turning the world upside down. But we know that they've been with Jesus. Being with him is enough. Don't let your limited resources or your wisdom keep you from stepping out in faith. Jesus is there with you. He's always going to call you to something greater and bigger than yourself. Step out. So whether you're a prodigal or whether you're on that side of spiritual glutton, as God is speaking to you, and, and, and your job now is not to harden your heart, but to say, yes, Lord, I'll be obedient. And I'm going to pray for us, and, and we'll be dismissed. But Jesus is our strong tower. And it says in in, in Hebrews that we can run to him anytime. Not just today, not just tomorrow, but forever. Hebrews chapter 4, 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but he was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain that grace and mercy in our time of need. 
It's okay to acknowledge that you are needy people. That's humility. That's honesty. That's vulnerability. God meets you there in that place. Enter boldly, Calvary Vista. Let Jesus have his perfect will done in you and through you for his glory and until we see him face to face. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would cleanse us, repurpose us, fight for us. Lord, we ask for forgiveness for the times that we've known to run to you, our strong tower, but have turned to the left or to the right in hopes that it would satisfy. And we acknowledge that there was temporal comfort, but nothing compares to being with you, Lord. Lord, forgive us for the times that we've been stiff-necked, too proud to bow our hearts and our heads to enter into that narrow gate. Lord, we enter in now and we receive that revealing and healing light and love of Jesus all around us. And Lord, with that, we ask that you'd repurpose us and fill us and send us out for your glory. Jesus, you love the world. You desire that none should perish, but that everyone should come to everlasting life. Lord, would you use us, people who have been with you, that strong tower, to go and introduce people to you, the strong tower. Help us to be on mission, Lord. Help us to have heavenly-mindedness as we walk with you throughout our days. We pray, Jesus, have your perfect will done in us and through us for your glory, for your kingdom's cause. In Jesus' name we pray and say, amen. Amen. In our time of response in our third service, I love that we can be a little bit more free. I want to invite those of you who have maybe been running to the wrong towers to come and humble themselves here to acknowledge, yeah, that's me. And to not be condemned by Jesus, but to be met with un, uh, uh, unconditional compassion and love. The carpet is here for you to kneel down, to confess that, man, I've been running to the wrong things, but now I run to you, Jesus. And I want to utilize the prayer team onto the left and to the right. Maybe you're, you're on that side of the fence where I, mean, I, I want to be used by God, but I'm fearful and I don't know what I'm really called to. Get prayer. You know, and if there's anything else going on, we learned this past Wednesday to bear one another's burdens and what better way than to receive prayer for one another. So our time with the Lord right now in response, let's just be open to the Spirit. Let's be refreshed by Him and empowered to live for Him. Amen? Amen. God bless you guys.